We just saw Amazon has become a huge search engine. It's now yeah. responsible now for, for 70% of product search. Think about that. Enormous amounts of product search. It has become the new Google, at least here in the US, where people go to find product. And so if you're a branded manufacturer, you've got to make sure you're controlling your presence there. Because if not, you know, it's amazing what happens. One of my favorite exercises, Norbert, is I go with the CEO of a company and we'll, we'll look at their presence on Amazon or we'll do a search for their product, you know, type or category on Amazon. And there'll be companies that show up there. They won't know what the brands are, who these companies are. And we'll look at the numbers, the revenue numbers. And some of these companies are doing millions of dollars on individual items and they're new brands they've never heard of. So all I say is if you're, you know, why did we start the company? It's really to help established product manufacturers take control of Amazon and put it to work for them versus the other way around. Hello and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SyncSpider. Hello and welcome to another Ecom Ops podcast interview. Today I'm talking to Brian back from Inceba. Hey, Brian, great to have you here. Wonderful to be here, Norbert. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. More than welcome and more than happy to have you on the show. Um, Brian, tell me a bit more about yourself. How did you get into e-commerce and what's about your great company? <laughs> well, thanks, Norbert. Again, thank you for having me. The uh, So... Yeah, I, I come from, gosh, 22, 23 years now in e-commerce. I ran e-commerce for a bunch of U.S. companies um, on the retail side and uh, got into the B2B side also about uh, about five years ago. There's so many opportunities there. And um, so I, I've been in and around uh, Amazon for years, Norbert. I, I competed with, sold on Amazon, ran some very large programs on Amazon for some of the uh, the brands and the companies I worked for. And about about five years back, uh, myself and several partners, we saw an opportunity for companies, particularly those that had some aspect of B2B to them. They're traditionally selling to B2B companies to get in and take control of Amazon. Amazon has been a uh, really a monster in, in the US, particularly and increasingly globally in terms of uh, e-commerce penetration. So that's what our company does. We help uh, product manufacturers mainly uh, figure out uh, the best approach and then execute that approach for Amazon. And we've just seen some Tremendous results, particularly as Amazon builds more on the B two B side. So the, the company is called Inceba and based uh, here in the U S. And, uh, and but we have clients all over the world. So excited, excited to to sh share a little more today about Amazon. That's cool. Thank you very much. What was the reason? Why did you even uh, found the company? Why, why wanted to to help people on Amazon? Sure. Well, I mean, for 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 so long, um, you know, pr particularly product manufacturers. Uh, have kind of let the Amazon be, control them, be the Wild West, either by selling to Amazon uh, through a wholesale relationship or sort of allowing resellers to kind of control the, their presence there. And we just saw a, um, you know, it's, Amazon has become a huge search engine. It's now yeah. responsible now for 70% for of product search. Think about that. Enormous amounts of product search. It has become the new Google, at least here in the US, where people go to find product. And so if you're a branded manufacturer, you've, you've got to make sure you're controlling your presence there. Because if not, you know, it's amazing what happens. One of my 
favorite exercises, Norbert, is like go with the CEO of a company and we'll 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 look at the their presence on Amazon or we'll do a search for their product, you know, type or category on Amazon. And there'll be companies that show up there. They won't know what the brands are, who these companies are. They'll, and we'll look at the numbers, the revenue numbers. And some of these companies are doing millions of dollars on individual items and they're new brands they've never heard of. So all I say is if you're, you know, why do we start the company? It's really to help establish product manufacturers take control of uh, Amazon and put it to work for them versus the other way around. Make sense? Absolutely. Um you talk about um, manufacturing companies. So um, I, I had a, a lot of work with manufacturing companies uh, building e-commerce stores. And um, what they say is uh, typically something like, oh, I cannot go to Amazon because all my um, my vendors that I sell the products to will, will kill me. Yeah. Uh, I cannot sell directly. What do you tell them? Yeah, no, that's the that's the classic channel conflict concern. And uh, you know, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, ultimately... I, I, what we find is a proactive Amazon program run by a manufacturer actually reduces channel conflict. Why? Well, because if you think about it, if, if you're not, if you're not controlling what's being presented on Amazon, people will put product up there and they'll be low price. There'll be a poor brand representation. Where does channel conflict start? You know, I, I wrote, I wrote a book, Norbert, about, about B2B e-commerce called billion dollar B2B e-commerce. And uh, this is it right here. And uh, for those of you watching, um, and in the book, I have a whole chapter I talk about B2B uh, or channel conflict and how to manage it. And what it comes down to a lot is price. So, you know, if you don't, if you don't have a proactive program at Amazon, you're letting that marketplace run up, run what it's going to, whatever it's going to do. And typically it's very low price product represent, you know, you're there, you're, you're 10, 15, 20, or 50% below what your other channels might sell uh, the product for. And so when you're, when you're in there controlling it, and if you're selling using what's called a third-party selling approach or seller essential, <clears throat> you control the price. And if you control the price on Amazon and your assortment on Amazon and you're proactively managing the program, it actually reduces the amount of channel conflict you have with your other channels. And so I argue it's, it's, it, it feels counterintuitive. You know, manufacturers will say, well, gosh, I can't have an Amazon program. I'm going to compete with all my retailers, all my distributors and dealers. Actually, if you're in control of it, you can decide what goes up there. You don't have to put your whole product line up. You, you, you can make, make the price which you, you know, match your, your price that you want it to be at in the marketplace. And you can actually move folks that you don't want selling their product off of Amazon. There's some ways to do that as well. So a proactive Amazon program reduces channel conflict. It doesn't increase it. It feels weird to say that, but, um, but it's, it's true. I've seen it play out many times uh, with our clients. So fully need to agree to that. So um, it's, it's, um, it's always um, like, um, yeah, people who do not want to have um, um, a social media profile, companies um, that don't right. want to have social media. It's the same situation there. Um, you do not control it if you don't have it. And this is the, 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 the main thing um, why, why you should have to beside the revenue. So you should control your products and your stock. Um, by the way, the book, um, please share the link with us later on oh, where uh, people can sure. purchase it so we can put it on the blog uh, post for this and, and, and on the links um, so people can go and guide the billion dollar B2B e-commerce book. Yeah, all you got to do is put a dot, dot com at the end, Norbert, and you, you have the website. It's uh, That's perfect. 400 pages long. It took me four years to write it. <laughs> I yeah. basically wrote down everything that I learned along the way. So it was a... Yeah, that's very, very cool. And it's looking very big. So there are a lot of pages to read. 
That's right. Hopefully some uh, good takeaways. Go ahead. When when did you first realize the power of Amazon for B2B firms? Well, really, it's interesting. It's really come up the last um, three or four years. You know, there's a great story here, Norbert. Back in 2012, Amazon started something called Amazon Supply. I don't know if you remember this, but it was their first their first version of Amazon B2B. And it was a separate website. It had a limited assortment. They didn't they didn't have a lot of things that B2B companies needed to make purchases. And you know, they learned, but what Amazon is great at, and they still do it today with 1.3 or 4 million employees, is they test and learn. They use data, they learn, they learn from their mistakes. Now they have a right to do it in the sense that they have a huge pocketbook or a checkbook, but um, they uh, they do they do it well. And they what they learned is a lot, a lot of the elements of B2B workflows and buying and uh, assortment, and even, even people, even people and relationships, they were missing from their first iteration. So they relaunched something called Amazon Business in 2015. And when they relaunched this, uh, they, they, they built, they did a lot of things they didn't do the first time around. One of the most important was they built teams of buyers and sellers, yeah. right? And they're out there recruiting buyers and, and sellers. In fact, their buy side team is huge. It's like five or six times the size of the sell side team. Well, and they're out there winning government contracts. They're, they're winning commercial contracts, integrating with procurement systems. They have um, over um, over fifty uh, million business buyers now, reg- individual registered. I mean, it's, it's incredible what they've done. So, what, what's what's happened? It's really started uh, really in the last three to five years, and it was they changed their approach. They learned from the first iteration. They built they're building features. You can buy on credit terms now, Norbert from Amazon Business if you're a B two B buyer. Incredible. So, you know, they they they've really come on strong. And last year, they did twenty five billion dollars uh, in revenue. That's just to give you a you know a sanity check, if you, I don't know if you know the company Granger, which is re- recognized as one of the largest distributors in the, the North American market of MRO product, they're twice the size of Granger. Granger's a eleven billion dollar company, and it's not just office supplies; they're in many many different categories. So it's really interesting uh, how quickly they're growing the business, and it's and it's a lot about it's it's the fundamentals. They've taken, they've learned, and there's also the fundamentals of Amazon, meaning they've got a lot of product assortment and they allow people to find product through their search engine quickly. Yeah, the B2B area of Amazon is also getting um, more and more uh, important here in Europe. So this is a very interesting approach. And uh, um, I see more and more companies using that um, as their, their um, not not their single point of, of purchases, but at least a very important point because you get everything. Uh, you get um, um, a traditional um, and, and regular invoice that you need for accounting. So everything is great. Um, and uh, yeah, the flexibility, uh, of course, of the market marketplace itself is uh, is insane. Now, um, you are a full service partner and you fully manage client Amazon accounts. Yeah? Um, mm-hmm. What are common mistakes that brands make when uh, running their own Amazon accounts? What do you see frequently? Well, great question. I, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, there, it's easy to make mistakes, uh, particularly. So there's two ways. Let me just, pre- let me give you a little bit of context. So there's two ways to sell on Amazon. Um, you know, if you're going to have your own account, one is what's called first party or one P. The other is called three P or third party seller central. And the seller central, we, we run programs for companies in both methods. In the one P side, you're selling wholesale to Amazon. In the three P side, you're essentially selling through Amazon. And there's there a lot the, the beauty of the three P or seller central side is that you have more control. You control the price, the product assortment. Uh, you control that you have greater control of content, inventory levels, et cetera. 
but with power comes responsibility, right? So that you, so you have, uh, be, because of that, you also have a lot more things that you can make mistakes about, right? So you, you can do things wrong on the three P side really easily. For example, let me take a test order and cancel it right away. Well, you know, when you, when you, te- when you, when you're testing and canceling orders, it's so, it's so easy to screw up your account early on with basic things like that. You may feel like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just, te- I'm just testing things, but, you need to follow Amazon's terms of service. Another area that is critical is, is shipping product. You know, if, if you're going to um, set up expectations with a customer, Amazon, they don't care who you are. They don't care if you're a $10 billion company. If you, if you mess with the, uh, the, the expectation of the customer in terms of their shipping delivery times, fulfillment times, out the door times, and you're not following the terms of service related to that, you'll have your account shut down. We, I mean, we've, we've had, We've had this happen where our clients will say, hey, you know, we had another big order come in. We couldn't ship Amazon. We had to put it off two weeks. Well, you know what? You can't do that because Amazon will ultimately shut your account down completely. They don't care who you are. Um, this You have to understand how Amazon ticks. It's not about the suppliers. It's about, I mean, to some degree, they want a lot of supply. Yes, but it's about the customer. That's, Amazon has grown to be a dominant force in the industry because they're so focused on the customer and they still are. So mistakes are things like shipping, uh, screwing up orders, not not doing the best practices related to content. <clears throat> I mean, con- content is so important on Amazon. Remember, this is your virtual salesperson sitting in front of the customer. They need the right data. They need good videos. They need, they need product reviews. Not building content effectively is another big mistake that we see companies make. So yeah. there's lots of places to make them. And quite frankly, you know, we love it when companies have come to us for a year or two. We help get them off the ground and they take things internally and they grow it. And that's we call that graduating. You know, they've come in, they've 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 learned from us and then they're they're off building their their programs successfully. Yeah, I need to fully agree, especially on the content part. I I, I see it very often that um companies are just putting in uh, the let's call it the essential information, but they're not enriching the content. And this is a real um, pain in the ass, actually, because most of the companies do not care about content writing and uh, making really powerful content for for um, uh, marketplaces, especially like Amazon. What do you recommend to them? Uh, how, how can they figure out the right content, how to write it correctly, how to get the right data? Yeah, no, great, great question. So, you know, the um, one of the easiest ways to get the right content is to go search on Amazon for your product category, you know, whatever you sell, chain lifts or pneumatic, you know, abrasive hand tools, whatever. Go there and search for your product and find the products that are showing up high in the search results. And you may not know who the brands are because oftentimes there's companies making product just for Amazon. And, but if you look at if you look at the um, content in the top search result um, uh, uh, products, you're likely to find what Amazon calls A plus content. A plus content is checks a lot of boxes. It has you know you're using all the images that available to you six seven eight images. You've got um, you've got a video on the on the product. You've got a rich title that talks about not just a serial number. It talks about what the product does. Bullet points with rich product information. Um, there's there's even uh, something called enhanced brand content on Amazon, which if you scroll down that page, you're going to see beautiful imagery about the product and the brand, the application of the product. And of course, things like uh, product reviews are critical. You have to build product reviews on Amazon and do not game that because you will. that's another mistake companies make sometimes. 
is they fall for the magic elixir of, of reviews. Companies saying, hey, I'll get you thousands of reviews. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because at the end yeah. of the day, you'll get you'll get delisted. Your your whole account will be suspended. Uh, Amazon's onto that. And, and they're doing everything they can to, to uh, prevent that from happening. Fake reviews, that is. Absolutely. So, and this is not only for Amazon. This also is for social media. This also rules yeah. for Google and so on. So um, it's it's so important. Uh, just activate your real customers to write real reviews. Um, right. Everything that is fake will be um, yeah, somehow analyzed and found. And then you're gone without any prior notice. So there is no second chance, which no. is um, actually good for the market uh, yeah. and bad for the ones who did it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, exactly. Ryan, on your LinkedIn, uh, you talk about Amazon being a too good to be true salesperson and <laughs> that COVID has eliminated many key benefits of a sales team. So in your opinion, how big um, of a role should sales teams play in B2B firms now? That's a great question. You know, a colleague of mine at For who was at Forrester for a long time, his name is Andy Hoare. He wrote this piece when he was at Forrester Research uh, about six, seven years ago called The Death of a B2B Salesman. Oh my gosh, all you know, this uh, e-commerce, Amazon, gonna cause the death of the B2B salesperson. Well, I don't think actually that's entirely true. My point in that what you're looking at there is that it's an up-leveling of the sales force. So Here's some stats for you, Norbert. Uh, 30% of people will still be working from home at the end of this year. Yep. So it's become harder for com for companies to physically deploy and manage a sales force. What does this mean for the sales force? Well, they've become more, much more reliant on digital tools to sell, like we're doing here, You know, using Zoom and other tools to, to develop and maintain relationships. But a lot more uh, interactions happening through e-commerce, uh, uh, more orders are happening through e-commerce. And if you, if you're, if you're, The sales team is simply taking orders. If they're, all they're doing is picking up the phone and, and taking an order that could be handled in some other way or receiving an email, retyping it into your ERP system or whatever, that stuff is going away. This is an up-leveling. If your sales team is actually adding real value, meaning they're helping the customer make decisions between and amongst products, apply those products in a complex B2B environment. You know, Let's say you're selling, I don't know, HVAC, heating, ventilating, air conditioning systems or I don't know, elevators or something in the, you know, the medical medical device space where there's a high degree of expertise in the application of that product and it's a complex sale, guess what? That stuff is still going to remain in, in the physical sales force. There's information that'll be delivered via e-commerce, but that buyer needs the consultative help of a sophisticated selling agent to help them through the process. That, that will be reinforced by e-commerce. Those roles are not going away, um, I, I don't believe. So what I think you're, yeah, you're yeah. seeing here is an up-leveling, right? If that makes sense. So it's not, the, it's not the death of a B2B salesperson. It is a change in the B2B salesperson, and it is a death of some, <laughs> but, but really the lower value um, uh, sales, sales roles. Um, and I think that's, that's good. That's good for the companies. It's good for the buyers. It's good across the board. The people who lose are just those who aren't adding value. That's what e-commerce and digital does. It, it's a great transparency. It's, it's, the, it's the age of transparency. You know, we think about the consumer market and everything that happened with all the department stores and how they've been decimated, you know, Sears and JCPenney here in the U.S. 
And it's it's largely because the buyer has more power than ever. And this is happening in the physical sales force as well. The buyer has more choices, more information, more pricing, transparency, et cetera. So anyway, long answer to your question. (laughs) Yeah, well, very interesting. Yeah, I also believe that. So um, if it kept getting more and more complex, you still need people to explain Mm -hmm. things, to help through the process. Um, And especially those low-end sales types um, are very good for e-commerce. You save a lot of of, of time um, and and, and stuff working on that with with the users. And those people who, um, yeah, who who do not or or who cannot work anymore on those low-end sales can be upgraded yeah. to be more um, complex and then um, and have more complex sales types. And that's that's more interesting for them. Well, I, I agree with you. In fact, I think there's, um, I was with the CEO of a machine tools manufacturing company a yeah. few months ago. What he did is he said, gosh, now that I have e-commerce, I can take this room. He showed me a room. He said, this is a room that had all my, you know, a lot of my customer service reps in it. And so what, I'm gonna, what, I'm, what I've done so they've taken those folks and instead of having them process <clears throat> answer questions about where's my order, because I now do that online, I now have them outreaching to my, to my to new customers and to my existing customers. And I've created a whole new customer success group with this team that used to be here. So they're redeploying people uh, to higher and better uses for the company and for the customer by yeah. automating some of these more routine tasks, like placing orders that they would have, you know, they, they already know the customer knows what they want. They want to do it faster and easier. They go online and do it um, or checking order status or whatever, getting information. And this is what I like. This is said before they are adding more value. Yeah. Exactly. Um, they're adding more value to the company, to customers. And this is what is great. Um, yep. You've created also a master B2B. So a series of debate style on webinars where yep. you ask the top B2B e-commerce experts and solution providers um, the hard questions that salespeople can't answer. Um, <laughs> can you share one of these questions? Uh, sure. Well, we ask all kinds of questions. In fact, um, you know, so this is a series I have with, as I mentioned, Andy Hoare, the fellow who's another B2B uh, influencer and expert in our, in our market for e-commerce. And we, um, we, we, we wanted to cut through the noise, Norbert. We wanted to do something different. We were, you know, the last couple of years, we did nothing but, you know, sort of sales pitch webinars. Like every webinars were getting so boring. Oh, yeah. So we wanted, we wanted to try to completely change it. So we have debates. It's boxing themed debates. And we bring on practitioners. These are senior people out of e-commerce. They've been doing it for years you know, the head of e-commerce at Granger and uh, Ingram Micro and Schneider Electric and Snap-on and Konica Minolta, all these big companies. And we let them debate on issues. And the audience gets to vote on who wins the debate. It's so fun. So we're nice. getting hundreds of people on this and thousands of, you know, social media likes and reviews and comments. But anyway, yeah, I mean, we take on all kinds of topics. Is a marketplace model the right, a right model for e-commerce? Uh, for B2B companies or not? Should a company run its own marketplace model? Is headless commerce, for example, the the future of the e-commerce platform? And that's a whole hot topic with, with certain groups. Oh, I'd love to try on that. that, that one, yeah. Headless. That, oh, I love that, it. That, that's uh, a good, it's a good it's one. It's a good yeah. one. It's a tough one. A really good question. Yeah. Yeah, exact, exactly. We have Google versus Amazon coming up in 2022. Who's going to win the war for product search? So we, we try to pit, you know, different and come to come to the table with really important issues that companies are struggling with. Um, you know, should shipping, for example, we have one that coming up uh, this week, should shipping um, be used as a competitive advantage or is it just a cost of doing business? You know, should, do you need Amazon like Prime like shipping for your business in B two B e commerce or not? Do B two B customers just expect you know it to take a little bit longer? So you know, there's mixed opinions about these things and. 
And there's mixed results too. And it depends on the kind of company you are, manufacturer, distributor, you know, you know, who you're serving, what industry you're in, et cetera. So it's, these are they're really fun and interesting debates. So yeah, I encourage folks to check out masterb2b.com, M-A-S-T-E-R-B2B.com for more details. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting things that are you're discussing here. Um, what role does automation play um, in terms of Amazon? Wow. Well, I mean, Amazon is in many ways automated. I mean, that's, you know, if, particularly if you've ever done business with Amazon or worked with their, um, their, uh, tools, um, you know, it's, you're, you're working more with, uh, an algorithm than you are with people. So, I mean, we, we're fortunate to have hundreds of relationships in Amazon, but just as a standard seller, um, on Amazon, you're working within those tools, automation. So look, Amazon, works to automate and and make more make efficient their entire business right and so everything from how you're posting product there to the fulfillment aspects of amazon to you know the even the recommendations if you look at amazon itself the way they make product recommendations do search uh present search results these things are these things are all automated there's enormous amounts of ai and there's there's thousands of engineers uh norbert at at, at amazon which are Focused on these things. I mean, they're they're looking at. They have a patent pending for predictive ordering. You know, so I'm, they're going to send me stuff before I even ask for it. <laughs> so, I mean, there's all kinds of AI that, that Amazon is artificial intelligence that Amazon is bringing to market and testing constantly. So yeah, it plays a big role, and I think there's a lot that the companies can learn from how Amazon has automated some of these things in, in their own business. Yeah, and 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 this is what I I, I also learned. Um, there's nearly everything what you can do with their API. And this is, I think, very important um, because um, most of those companies you're talking to and um, that, that, that are using Amazon have any additional software products in the back end, like an ERP software, shipping software, and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the first things um, you, you definitely should do is to, to take a look on how to optimize those processes, getting the orders from Amazon, sending the updates to Amazon right from within your ERP software. Um, I had a meeting with a customer um, this week or um, uh, last week, sorry, last mm-hmm. week, um, where we where we analyzed the process where um, several countries are served by different stock locations. Uh, some are FBA, some are FBM, um, and 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 uh, orders needed to be optimized in the right warehouse to pick the mm-hmm. goods from, send it, and automate the process so that no order is longer than two or three hours within uh, Amazon before it is in any uh, picking station. And I think right. once you're really thinking to grow, this is the, it's even too late to start the automation uh, uh, because yeah. then it's, <clears throat> it's, mm-hmm. it should have been done already. So very first thing when you really want to grow, I think is also to see if you can automate the processes of getting all the orders and, 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 and updates to, to your backend systems. 100% agree. I think there's, um, particularly if you expect any kind of scale, we have some clients doing 15, 20, 25 million in revenue on yeah. Amazon a year. And if you're at those kind of numbers, you really do need to tie into Amazon's APIs. Um, uh, even something, even, I mean, we've had companies integrate even prior to going live, which is, which can be a very good idea if you anticipate, you know, some significant volumes. Um, but yeah, Amazon provides a very robust API, uh, set of APIs that can be tied into, as you mentioned. And, it is a best practice uh, to have yourself integrated through your, you know, into your ERP system for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. Last question for today, Brian. Um, sure. 
who has taught you the most about e-commerce in your career? Oh, man. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, it, it's almost, it was more, more of a situation than a, than a, than a, um, a person. Um, I was in a company, we're going back about 10, about 12, 13 years. And we had lost a couple of, uh, it was a smaller company startup. We lost some of our executives. And I was the CEO of the company. This is in a small, it's a $10 million company. And I, I remember this because uh, prior to this time, I had been, I've been, you know, general manager of the business, but I hadn't been in all of the nuts and bolts of the e-commerce operation. I dove in headfirst into everything around the technology, the, the marketing, et cetera. And it was a situation that taught me, you know, when I got in and got my hands dirty on all these things, SEO, paid search, uh, how to, how to be building a, you know, a, a highly functioning e-commerce site. I learned a lot just by doing. And, and partnering with a number of different people. So we hired some outside agencies to help because we, we lost our head of marketing, our head of technology. So I had to get in and really figure a lot of this stuff out for myself with partners. And that was a situation. And I say, you know, one of the best ways of learning is just to do and, and to read, do, and get some good people by your side uh, to help. So I would say more so than a person, it was a situation that taught me a lot of my foundational knowledge about e-commerce. And it was it was by doing, really. Yeah. It was... It was you know, just getting your hands dirty, roll up the sleeves and doing. I hear uh, this so, quite often. Uh, yeah. Learning by doing, Googling things, asking yes. for help, going yep. to forums. Yep. Um, and I think that's that's a very good approach. Um, Brian, thanks so much for your time. It was really a pleasure talking to you. Um, yeah, get the product data right, write the content, make it more beautiful, more attractive, take care that um, you ship in time and do not play around with the reviews. I think That's these right. are some outtakes that everyone, even small retailers, um, can take sure. and uh, improve their listings on Amazon. Well, wonderful, Norbert. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. And again, if you want to learn more, if anyone's listening, it's in Siba, E-N-C-E-I-B as in boy, A.com. E-N-C-E-I-B as in boy, A.com. And I'd love to hear from, hear from you. Check out my book or uh, take a look at, uh, <clears throat> just shoot me an email, brian at nsiba.com. Love to hear from you. Awesome. Talk soon. Good luck. Thank you, Norbert. Appreciate bye it. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time. 